Right, committed to giving. As, uh, as uh, Chris said, we're doing a short series on what it, on what it means to be committed to, to the local church, committed in this case to Abbey Church. And uh, we're just going to look at one of the things in, in the document says this. Now, by the way, let me say first of all, this message is, is for those people who are believers, Lord Jesus Christ, have joined this church and see themselves as committed to this church. If that's not you, then please, in one sense, though I trust there'll be things in here which are helpful, this message is not really for you. This is for those of us who believe that we should be committed to this church. We're not looking to take money from other people. Uh, So, as I said, I hope there's still some things that you can learn from uh, this this morning. In the Abbey document, if you don't read it now, but as part of the discipleship section, it says this, that we commit to support the ministry of Abbey Church by the giving of our abilities, time, and money. Giving of our abilities, time, and money. There's a guy called John Lang, and John Lang was uh, uh, chairman, managing director of a construction firm. He came to be one of the biggest uh, construction firms in the United Kingdom. And uh, but earlier on uh, in his life, in the, in his, when he was uh, heading up that uh, company, the company ran into financial difficulties. And he was concerned. He was concerned about his employees. Uh, he was a Christian. Uh, he was also concerned because he wanted to be able to give. And he said, to the, he, said he made a pledge at that time, he said to God, he said, if you, will, if you will enable us to get through these difficulties so that the company does not go down, then I promise that I will give a significant percentage of all that I earn, of all the profits of the company, to various Christian charities. The company didn't go down. It became very successful, became one of the biggest companies in the UK in construction. And um, he kept his promise. When he died, when he died, he had only a few hundred pounds to his name. Yet, he had put money, shares in trust that today means there is a trust fund of over 20 million which continues to give to many Christian charities year on year, including some of those that people know about in this room. John Lang. Why did he give so much? Why should we give? Why should we, if we're members of this church, why should we give to this church? Why should we give of our abilities to different ministries, to teaching, looking after the children, to hospitality, to neighbor chaplains? Why should we give of our time to visit people when they're not well, to, to lead or attend a community group? Why should we give of our money to support the work here people serving and people serving in other countries. Let's broaden out. Why do people generally give? Why do people generally give to different things? Well, it's a whole range of reasons, isn't it? It may be a cause or a charity that's close to their hearts. So we had a friend visit us a few weeks ago on a huge motorbike, much bigger than mine, and uh, he'd just come back from a Help for Heroes event. You see, he was in the armed forces, and he... That charity is very close to his heart, Help for Heroes. Sometimes it's an emotional response, isn't it? We see a picture of a a starving child 
uh, or somebody in very difficult circumstances. And we, as human beings, we want to respond to that. Or maybe some people just want to show off how, how generous they are so they get their name in the newspapers or on TV. Perhaps out of a sense of duty. Ever had those sponsor forms come around where you think you'll, you know, somebody from work or whatever else says, will you sponsor me? And you, you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in your mind you're thinking that you'll give them a fiver. And then you look at the sponsor form and everybody above you has given 10 or 20 pounds. And you think, oh, no, better give, better give 10 then just to, so that I'm not seen as mean. People give for all sorts of reasons. Some of them very good, some of them perhaps uh, less so. Why should we give to the church? Why should we give uh, to Christian work? Well, Paul is addressing that question in the passage we wrote, we read rather. He's talking about why the Christians in Corinth, this city in Greece, should give to help other Christians. And he sets out some principles that apply to us all. And so he's talked about that in his first letter, 1 Corinthians, uh, about how they'd started to, they'd decided to set up a relief fund for the Christians in Judea and Jerusalem who were suffering poverty, famine, and therefore were in need. He talks about how they'd set up this relief fund, but since then, not much has happened. They'd had a good idea about setting up this relief fund, but they actually hadn't done very much. And in this passage, he talks about giving. And he uses one particular phrase. And uh, you find that um, in... in uh, lost my notes already. Let me quickly look. He talks about excel in the grace of giving. Excel in the grace of giving. It's there in the passage somewhere. Verse 7. Verse 7. Why did he talk about the grace of giving? Why not just say, give, give? But he talks about the grace of giving. What exactly is the grace of giving? Well, there's four things I want to pick out very quickly from these verses. First of all, they gave despite their circumstances, verses 1 and 2. In those two verses, he talks about, he talks about the, the difficulties that they are facing. Um, and uh, he, he says that they are in extreme, they're facing severe trials and extreme poverty. Paul here is giving an example of another church in Macedonia, Philippi, whatever, of how they gave. And he's using this as an example to encourage the Christians in Corinth. And he says about the Christians in Macedonia that they face severe trials and extreme poverty. And yet, they had overflowing joy and they were rich in their generosity. Now those two things don't add up, do they? If you're facing severe trials and, have, and suffering extreme poverty, you don't expect to be overflowing with joy and giving rich, in rich generosity. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense until you add the word grace to the equation. If you add the word grace to the equation, it can change everything. These Christians in Macedonia were a rock bottom. They were destitute. The word is used of a beggar. Maybe because they were Christians. Maybe because they were Christians, they couldn't get work. Maybe because Christians, they were facing real 
difficulties within their society. We had a, talked about the Christians in North Korea a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? And maybe it's a similar situation for those Christians in Macedonia. And yet they had overflowing joy and rich generosity. You may remember the story that Jesus, not a story, you may remember the event when Jesus and his disciples were at the temple and they were watching the people give money. There were receptacles for they could put their gifts in as they went into the temple. And there were these rich people coming along and they were putting in probably bags of coin and putting it into the receptacle. And then one I don't know if she was a little old lady or not, but one widow, I always think of her as a little old lady, one widow comes up and she puts in a coin, a coin, less than one pence. And Jesus says to his disciples, he says, you see that woman? You see her? Do you know what? She's given more than all of those rich people who put their bags of gold and coins in. And you can imagine them scratching their heads. How can that, how, what, what do you mean, Jesus? She's, she's given a co- just one little coin. Look how much they gave. It only makes sense, isn't it, if you think, when you think of giving, that you measure your giving not by how much you give, but how much you've got left behind afterwards. Because she had nothing else. She gave, it says, all that she had. Grace. Grace. That was being evidenced in this church in Macedonia. Gave despite their circumstances. They gave, verses 3 and 4, they gave enthusiastically. They said, we want to give. We know we don't have much, but we want to give. Let us in on the act. We want to give. We want to be involved. They weren't giving because they were made to or they were forced to or they were made to feel guilty because they weren't. They gave because they wanted to. And they gave because God had changed their hearts. And changed hearts meant changed behaviors. When the Vikings came to Britain and then some of them became Christians, they were baptized then as Christians in Britain in the 8th century. There's a story that when the Viking warriors were baptized, when they went under the water by immersion, baptized by immersion in the river or whatever else, they held their right hand above the water. They didn't put their right hand underneath. For the reason that that their right hand was their sword arm. And they still wanted to fight. And so they didn't want to have their sword arm baptized, so they kept it outside the water. And sometimes there's... Sometimes you wonder with us Christians whether when we're baptized we have our right hand outside the water holding onto our wallets because we perhaps still don't want to entirely let God determine what we do with our wallets. I hope that's not the case because they gave enthusiastically and God loves a cheerful giver. They gave because they wanted to. Verses 5 and 7, here is a key. Verses 5 to 7. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. They recognized that their whole lives, their whole lives belonged to God. They recognized that that was their right response to what God had done for them. 
and therefore they wanted to give. We were, uh, had, as you know, we've got, uh, some of you know, we've got grandchildren, and um, we've got uh, one grandchild in one family that's four, and a grandchild in, in the other uh, who's uh, two, two and a half. And uh, we see them together sometimes, like it will be true at Christmas. And it's really interesting, isn't it, when you watch children play. What we noticed was they were both very happy to play with the other's toys, but they didn't want the other to play with their toys. And so we saw one of our grandchildren, before the other one came into the room, she was collecting up all her toys and putting them behind the settee so that, so that the other one couldn't see them and play with them. You see, because they were hers, they're mine, they're mine. She didn't mind playing with the other girl's toys, but she didn't want the, the reverse to happen. And that's so true, isn't it, about uh, human relationships. You see, the question, when, when we talk about giving, the question isn't really about money or time or abilities. The question really is about love. The question is about who or what you love. That then is just reflected in the way that we behave. So when I, you know, when, when I first started going out with Kim, she would come fishing with me. Because she loved me. She hated going fishing and sitting on the bank and the stinging nettles and the flies and all the rest of it. But, but she would come fishing. She doesn't do it anymore, by the way. I just have to <laughs> add that. Well, occasionally she did the other week. You know, and I took her to see Downton Abbey the other night. But normally that wouldn't be my, out of love. It's not my sort of film. When we love somebody, it's reflected in the way that we behave, isn't it? When we love the Lord Jesus Christ, it's reflected in the way we behave. And that includes that willingness to give, to give of ourselves. And these people gave themselves first to God. That's the real issue. Amy Carmichael, who's a a wonderful uh, Christian lady, went onto the mission field. She said this, you can give without loving. You can give without loving. Some people do. But you can't live, you can't love rather, without giving. You can't love, truly love, without giving. So they gave themselves to God. And finally, because Jesus gave, verses 8 and 9. He talks, Paul points them to the Lord Jesus. For you know the grace, there's that word again, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. He's now, he's now pointing the Corinthians, not to the Macedonian Christians, but he's pointing them to Jesus. Pointing them to Jesus. You know, his grace. Jesus was rich in every sense. If Jesus was God, then he was, he was rich in every sense, wasn't he? Everything belonged to him. He had all power. Even in his person, the the character that we see of the Lord Jesus, he was rich in his person, in his character. And yet, he became poor. Poor, we're going to think about that in a few weeks, aren't we, 25 days or whatever else, or from now. He became poor because he became just a weak little baby like any other child, totally dependent for his safety and security and for his food on somebody else. But Philippians say that even when he grew up, he was poor physically. 
He didn't have anywhere that he could claim that it was, was, his, was his place. He didn't have a home. He didn't have a bed of his own. But he became poor, much poorer than that, didn't he? And that's what we were thinking about earlier. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death. Jesus, who was the greatest, became so poor. Why? So that we could become rich. That's the message of the gospel. He became poor so that we could become rich. Not just rich in terms of how much we own and what we earn in this life, but far, far richer than that. Richer so that one day we will be heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. One day we will share in all of his glory. That's what he promises us. In Romans chapter 8, we will become rich. And Paul now speaks to them, and he tells them some things very quickly. First of all, and this is in verses 10 to 15. First of all, give as you can. He says, the gift is acceptable according to what one has. You see, it isn't about the amount. It isn't about how much you put in the offering. It isn't about really um, how much time you give and whether you use your abilities. The real question is that we give according to our hearts. And God sees our hearts. God sees our hearts. There's a story, isn't there, about, I'm sure it's happened more than once, where um, during a service, um, the guy, Sydney, with his wife, and um, he was going away on a journey afterwards, and he'd forgotten to give her the money for the housekeeping. And so during the service, he gives her the money for the housekeeping, but she's not really with it, not on the same wavelength. And when the offering comes around, she puts all of the housekeeping into the offering, so which, which was rather disappointing for the man when he realized what had happened. So afterwards, he goes to the pastor and he says, I'm really sorry, pastor, but my wife put all of the housekeeping into the offering. I think he was hoping the pastor would say, you could have it back, but he, the pastor didn't say that at all. And so the guy said, uh, he said, well, I, I guess what? He said, I guess I'll have the credit for, for all of that when I get to heaven. And the pastor said, how much were you intending to give? He said, a fiver. He said, well, you'll get credit for a fiver then. Because God knows the heart. That's what God responds to, not how much we actually give. If you want to give more but are unable to, then God knows it. But if you could give more and you refuse to, God knows it. Because God looks at our hearts and it's from our heart that we give. How much should you give? How much should we give? Well, the Old Testament talks about tithes, doesn't it? That was the tenth and offerings, and they, they, they gave time to remind themselves to, 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 so that they remembered that all of what they had came from God. It was all his. The land they lived, they lived in, the things they enjoyed were all from God. Therefore, they gave this tithe, this tenth, as a remembrance of that. And we're stewards. I mean, when I was a, uh, a, a, a youngster, my parents, who were Christians, uh, said they didn't make me but they said you know you should give a tenth and so I did at that stage at least some of the time I gave a tenth of my pocket money 
because I thought that's what I should do. And, uh, and that's not a bad thing remembering that. But the truth is, as we've already talked about, it isn't about what percentage you give. If you really want to think about that in terms of that way, then you should think about, the, should think about what you keep for yourselves. That's a better way of thinking about it. I know of somebody who said that every year he wanted to give more of his money to the Lord, to the Lord's work. And, by God, and he was quite wealthy. And by God's grace, he'd done so. And he said, I'm now up to giving 93% of all that I earn to God because I has blessed me and I want to give more as I can. and some of us some of us who've paid off our mortgages and whatever else we're in a different position and we are able to give more and God God knows that so give as you can and in 1 Corinthians 16 where Paul talks about this in the previous letter to the to these Christians he says the only thing he says to them he says is decide what you're going to give decide what you're going to give and then give, and give systematically, not legalistically, but give systematically. Give as you can, trusting that God will provide. Trusting that God will provide. And then he gives this example, doesn't he, here, about when the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness, and they were hungry, and God said he was going to give them manna to eat every day. And he said, when you go out to collect the manna tomorrow for the first time, collect just enough for the day, right? Just enough. Whatever you need for that day, just collect it. But don't collect any more, except for on, Saturday, on Friday. Because you're not going to get manna on, Sunday, on, on Saturday, on the Sabbath. So on Friday, collect twice what you need for two days. But don't collect any more. And some of them, of course, went out. And, of course, they, couldn't, they didn't trust God. So instead of just collecting what they needed for the day, they collected lots more. And what happened became rotten. Second day, it was rotten and full of maggots. Great for fishing, right. Um, so, but it wasn't very good for eating. Don't hoard, he was saying. I will provide for you every day what you need. You don't need to hoard lots and lots for the days ahead. Tomorrow, I will also provide for your needs. By the way, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be sensible and that we shouldn't save I used to, when I was an accountant, I used to deal with some clients who had masses of money. Masses, in my terms anyway, in your terms. And yet, I knew full well that they were going to die with masses of money. I remember talking to one lady and saying, she, she did have a good heart. And I said, she talked about giving. I said, I said, well, you know, it's really good if you give while you're alive because then you can be around to hear people say thank you. And I did encourage her to give her, because I knew she had so much, and she had no family to give it to. I don't know where it was all going to go. Long lost relatives, I suppose. But anyway, we don't need to hoard. We can give. And God finally, if we does, promises us that we will be blessed. These people, the Macedonian Christians, were blessed. And he says here that you'll be blessed Do we believe that? Do we believe that as we give, we will be blessed? It was Paul who quotes Jesus, although we don't actually have Jesus saying it in in so many words. But Paul quotes Jesus as saying, It is more blessed to give than to receive. More blessed to give than to receive. 
That's what Jesus says to us. And he says to these Christians, why don't you excel in this grace of giving? I've known some Christians who are not very well off, more like the widow in the story, in the, in the example that Jesus referred to. I've known some Christians like that, and yet they were incredibly generous. I think I've also known some Christians who were well off, and yet really were not very generous. Let me ask you one question. Which people would you rather be with? Which people would you enjoy the most being with? Which people would encourage you in your Christian faith? Which people would you more like to be like? Which people are more blessed in this life even, never mind the blessings that come in the future? And based on the people that I can put, one or two people I put into those categories, the answer is absolutely clear to me. Who are the blessed? Who are the people that I would want to be with? The people that I would want to be more like? There's a reminder. They gave despite their circumstances. They gave enthusiastically. They gave themselves to God. They gave because Jesus gave. Why don't you? Why don't we? Like Paul says to the Corinthians, Christians, why don't we, like the Macedonian Christians, excel in the grace of giving?